Hello everyone and welcome back into Cult Film Cafe with me, your host Jonathan. I am joined as always by my illustrious co-host Kenzie McLean. Hello there. And the guest on this week's pod is the man, the myth, the legend himself, David Green. Yes, it's me. So, yeah, if everybody is familiar with the pod, you know how this works. It's based on a 100 must-see cult film poster where we pick a film each week and we dive into it from a cult aspect using the eight rules of Cult Film Cafe. Now, as you already know, if you are listeners to the podcast, the guest gets to pick what film we are going to be talking about this week. So I'll hand it over to David and he'll let you all know what film it's going to be. Well, for this week, I picked an amazing film, a... Well, a film that everyone loves, let's be honest. We all, we all love it. It's uh, Princess Bride. Grandfather's here. Can't you tell me I'm sick? I'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Hey, how is the sickie? Huh? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. Today, I'm going to read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together today. What? 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 I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Won't that be nice, eh? A courtly age. Of gentle conversation. I will always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Peril. And revenge. Prepare to die. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line! <laughs> there were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. And affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. I've seen worse. Bye bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. It's more than turning. What's the difference? We've got him. Think it away? It would take a miracle. Bye bye. It's a story of love, a tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. I'm kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. So, David, just a quick question I'd like to ask to get a bit more familiar with the guest. What made you choose that particular film out of the hundred on the list? Um, honestly, it's just, I think it's just the most fun. It's just a good film. It's nice. It's, it's, it's popular enough for being a cult film, in my opinion, that, I don't know, I think it just works. Good film. I like it a lot. So that's it, really? Just, you just like it a Literally, lot? Literally, yep, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um, that's fair. Any particular reason why, though? Uh, I just like it because it's, it's, it's not really, it's not, it's not a typical film, is it? It's a, it's a nice film. It's like a fairy tale book come to the you know to film is my main reason really everything else kind of like your typical film it's a bit it's, it's a bit fun it doesn't take itself too seriously that's fair um it's nice to know why you picked that film now we're going to 
quickly go into our thoughts on the film, which is generally good, the bad, the indifferent, and how we feel about it. It's just basically like a short mini review that we all give it, and then we'll give it a rating at the end of that. Now I'll probably just hand over to Kenzie, and he can kick us off with his thoughts on the movie. Well, Princess Bride. Um, this is my first watch of the film. I have heard of it. Well, I had heard the name, which the name always put me off, but I had heard it was supposed to be a really good film. So I was like, I'll watch it, but I don't think it's going to be my cup of tea. And not to my surprise, it wasn't really my cup of tea. It's definitely an alright film. I, I agree with what David said. The film doesn't take itself too seriously, which I quite is one thing I do quite like about it. But I don't know. It's... it's see, I don't like. Sometimes films are just not for you, and I feel like that's just how, this, how I feel about this film. I did like how it started. I liked the kind of first act. I liked how it kind of flowed. It was went really well. But bar that, nothing fully stood out to me compared to like other films that are kind of like it. In a way, it's although being different from other films in its genre, I also find it kind of generic in the same in the same sense. Just kind of weird. I don't know if that's just me though. Like I said, it's not really my type of film. Like, what do you feel about it, Jonathan? Is it? Do you feel the same, or like, do you do you, do you like it? Um, it's one of those eighties films that has caught sort of passed me by in terms of films from the decade. I'm a big lover of eighties films in general. Normally, um, a bit like you, I kind of thought that I would maybe like it a bit more, but it's just one of those films that for me is just not really my cup of tea um, in terms of films that I would go to and sort of select to watch. That's something that's going to be different for everybody, and these are obviously just opinions based on that. I mean, I don't particularly like this style and uh, this genre of film. I'm a big fan of Rob Reiner, though, um, the director of the movie. It's something that's quite weird. I do like his films, but I prefer films like This Is Spinal Tap, if I'm being totally honest with you. That that to me is a far better film for me um, because they are both similar in terms of their parody sort of pastiche movies. Um, this one, Princess Bride being about like fairy tales and stuff like that, whereas This Is Spinal Tap is, sort of speaks to me more because it's a parody about a metal band essentially a rock band which is something that i find more interesting and probably more funny as well um but that that's just my initial thoughts um but david what about you well i think it's uh, no surprise that is i think it's a great film i feel like it's almost something for everyone in it almost you know if you like the genre anyway uh i think it's just it's just such a watchable film it's, it's just a good time you know you stick it on it's like an hour and a half of just kind of dumb stuff. It's it's not too serious. It's not too out um grindy, for lack of a better word. I can't think of. I just really enjoy it. I feel like the acting's great and the story, while being really simple, it's just fun. That's that's all I can really say about it. It's just a good time and also it's very quotable. That's the one thing I quite like about it. You can say anything about it and people will probably know of it anyway from the quotes itself. You know. I think that's a fun part. That's a fun part of the film experience is after you watch it, people still reference it. You know. So, are you like a big fan of like the genre? Um, kind of. I don't know. I, I like these kind of parody films. You, know, I like things like you know, like the Ken Naked Gun. Though I, I'd probably say this, it's more a homage sort of thing 
homage yeah. pastiche sort of thing rather than a proper parody because it's not directly poking fun at it it's more just like oh i suppose it is at times but it's more it's like it's almost like a direct translation it's what you'd get right if films were probably about when storybooks were being written princess bride is what it would look like probably just more serious right i i just like yeah. I, I like the style i like what it is i like how it's just it's just kind of fun it's light horror it's, it's a good time it's kind of swashbuckly you know yeah the director is clearly having fun with the film i think it was a good way to go with this type of genre yeah i, I completely agree it's like it isn't quite parody it's not it's like oh it's more just having not to, it's just really not taking itself too seriously which i think works really well for this these type of films and i think this film pays off for like it really does pay off for the film which is quite cool yeah obviously Ro- rob reiner's known for like what i was saying about these pastiche sort of parody style i'm not saying they are definite parodies but obviously this is spinal taps very similar in a different way but he's also worked on films that are across a lot of genres but early on in his career it was comedy seemed to be the thing that he honed in on um just having a quick look at stuff that he's that he made sort of around the time i mean when harry met sally was another thing that he that he directed another film that he directed and that's another film that is very comedic and very quotable as well um and it's very of the time for for people of that age i'm a bit surprised at myself about the princess bride not liking it as much um as we were just having a wee chat before we started recording um the writer um of the screenplay was william goldman who wrote the novel uh, princess bride and i've had a look at his filmography in terms of screenwriting and there's some big big films on there that i'm a big fan of um, ones that stand out to me, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, um, Marathon Man, films like that, which I love, um, and are sort of more my style of movies, obviously. But it's just, I, I, I sometimes gravitate towards people that I like in different aspects of filmmaking. And just it's just a bit strange for me that this one just didn't quite click for whatever reason. And it's not that it's a terrible film, and it's not that it's badly made or anything like that. It's, and I think a lot of the casting choices were right. It's just I I don't think that I could relate to the film like some other people. And I think that's half the battle with films like this, is if you aren't into it and you don't relate to it that way, I think you're probably not going to enjoy it as much as people do. And I know people out there that will put this in maybe their top 10 films of all time. It's just that loved universally by fans. But for me... Obviously, it's something that isn't my cup of tea, so to speak. But there's there's nothing really bad in terms of flaws in it. It's a very well-made film. I think the lack of sort of CGI is a big plus. I think that's why it still looks good today. There's not a lot of special effects. I think a lot of stuff was done practically in the film, which makes it look doesn't age it as much as some 80s films can be aged by that you know when you move forward digitally which is something i picked up on it how does anybody else feel about sort of some of the technical aspects of the film it it's quite weird for like i don't think anything about this film really stands out for me i think like everything's done well enough but i don't think it's done like amazingly 
Like nothing about the filming of the film really stood out to me. Some of like the kind of choreography, like with the with the fencing parts, were pretty cool. That was like one thing that did I did think looked quite good. But overall, it looks fine. But I don't think it looks like amazing. I, I don't know. And it's I feel. With, I feel. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. No. No. Nah, I, 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 I was always going to say that um, the the acting too. I don't think the acting stood out either. I think it was just kind of all right. But I think that works for this type of film. But uh, yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say? Well, we're we're gonna have a little tussle here, Kenzie, because I think the acting's great. <laughs> it's not really though. Like it's, it's for like the fine. Act, for what it is, for like delivering the dialogue though, like it, it's hammy. It's it's all the dialogue really is stupid. Let's be honest. Like everything about it is dumb, but the actors like are able to like portray the characters as if this is serious as life or death for them. That that's part of the reason I like the acting so much because you've got like you know um you got Wallace Shaw playing Vicini and he's sitting there saying like inconceivable nine times in a row when it doesn't apply for it but all the, like, he, he seems he believes it obviously and, and it works like you've got uh Carrie Elwes talking about uh how he's like mostly dead and it's you know it's kind of sucky but you know it, it seems very natural for him which is part of the reason I like it so much um technically yeah I actually don't disagree with either of you when it comes to technical aspects it's all fine it's nothing to write home about. I think it's well made, though I did like the um the rat costume, in the swamps of fire. It's very fun. I did like the rat costume too. It did look man's nice. wrestling a midget in a rat costume. It's great. I like the quicksand as well. I don't know. I just the way they just, like, sunk into it. Yeah, it was uh, quite. Was I, cool. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. The way like that. Um, it didn't look unnatural. I think the quicksands, which I thought I was quite surprised by, because you look at like um more more modern films. Look at Crystal Skull. They have a quick sign scene in that, and he just—it looks a bit awkward, really. He looks classic like he's swimming. film. Okay, let's not talk about oh, classic sure, film. Let's not. But, I, I don't know. Far. I think the, <laughs> I think the quick sign's a little bit quick. I don't know. I know quick sign's meant like well, it's got the name quick sign, but like they just she just falls in there. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Like it's like an Olympic dive. It's great. Man dives into sand. <laughs> but I guess I, I now looking back at it, I. I some parts of the film was kind of winning me over a little bit, which is kind of interesting. Well, it's just such an absurd... Part of the reason I probably like it so much, right, is it's this absurd comedy kind of thing, but everyone treats it like it's completely normal. Like, you know, Princess Buttercup, she's walking, she's listing all these dangers, and it's like, you know, oh, you know, we've got these, um, the rats of unusual size, and the fire pits, and the lightning quick quicksand, and she falls straight through the quicksand, and it's it's literally... A hole in the ground, and you dive in after. It's just so dumb, but everyone seems like it's 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 a genuine fear. I just I like that a lot. I, it's like Naked Gun for me. I love that. It's like it's so good. I think if you're into those, like I'm just going to touch on it again. You, I'm not a big fan of things like Naked Gun and Spaceballs, and you know all these sort of parody pastiche movies that riff on other ones. They aren't really for me, and I know that there's a big market out there for them, and there's people that love them. But I just want to touch on David, you the casting for you and the acting. You think, in your opinion, is really one of the sort of standouts in this in this film, mm-hmm. and you you aren't wrong. I mean, I think all the all the actors play their characters really well, but it's just interesting to note that some of the people in the film weren't first choice because a lot of times when you watch films like this and the acting's so good you expect that those actors to be essentially the first choice for it um and just a couple of ones 
that I would like to pick up on is um, Wallace Shawn for Vecini. Um, he he was in the running, but also Danny DeVito was in the running for that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the the basis on that was the contrast in height. There's a scene in the film right at the start when Buttercup rides through the forest and they're all standing in a line and it's like incrementing up in height. Obviously, Andre the Giant, um, over seven foot, playing Fezzik. But that's a that's also a funny one because I thought, given the 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 role in this, if you didn't read anything about it, I thought that he would definitely be the shoe and number one choice for this, given the the character in this in this film. But and I, I think he was first choice, but they didn't. I think for a time they didn't think they could get him because he was a a wrestler at the time, uh, wrestling sort of regularly. And the second choice for Fezzik was Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> which I watched that. That's yeah, that's a weird that. a weird one to think about when you think about Andre the Giant and then Arnold Schwarzenegger. Quite different um in terms of even size and, and things like that. Um yeah. There there was loads there was loads of tall people um interested in the part and I think they done done right. I'm reading here that Liam Neeson also auditioned for the part, and yeah, that'd have been a bit of a weird one. I don't think <laughs> I would love he, that, but he's not. He wouldn't have been big enough. He's not imposing enough to play that character. I think they got it right. And like David said, they got a lot of the cast right and the casting right. Um, interestingly enough, um, in the end credits, it's introducing Robin Wright as Buttercup. I think she was only in one. She had one small part in a film before this, and this, so this was sort of her feature film debut, I suppose you could claim that. But even she wasn't first choice either. They had a, a slew of people looking to play to play that part, and there's quite a lot of people here: Uma Thurman, Meg Ryan, Sean Young. If you're not familiar with Sean Young, she was in Blade Runner. Susie Amos, Courtney Cox, Alexander Paul, and Whoopi Goldberg. Funnily <laughs> enough, and it it wasn't. Like Robin Wright wasn't cast until about a week before they started filming, which is quite quite tight in terms of getting one of your main characters cast. I think filmmaking did did, back then. Sorry, did might have, what was that? I was asking. Did, did someone drop out? Like, why was it like? Why was it like so like late? I'm not unsure. Just not I just don't know if they could the right find the right person for the role. I think when you're doing casting for films. You and especially films that are ad- adaptations of novels, you're going to have fans of the novel that have got a very distinct vision of who should play parts. Um, I think Carrie always works really well because right at the start, playing the the sort of farmer boy, he's obviously a good-looking young man. He doesn't really have much substance in, and obviously this film jumps five years later. And then when we meet him again, he's this sort of rogue pirate. And it's, he's obviously done a lot of growing up. But Carrie Elwes does a real good job of being able to play both of those parts, you know. And he does switch when he becomes this um, pirate, is it Dead Man Roberts? Or uh, the Dread Pirate Dread, Roberts. Dread yeah. Pirate Roberts. Um, but yeah. And it's it's like he becomes a completely different person. I think his mannerisms change. 
his accents a bit changed. I think the accent is a, a is a weird one for me. So obviously they're trying to be British, um, and it can sometimes feel a, a bit weird. Yeah, I could. Such I, a, I mean, go on. Uh, What's the guy's the, the the dread pirate guy? I forgot his I forgot the actual guy's name. Uh, uh, Carrie yeah. Elwes. Carrie Elwes. Yeah. Um, when I watched like the first like five minutes of the film where it explains like the kind of first part of the film, I just I just didn't think he'd be very good in the film. Like I thought like the the, the way he was acting in like the first part, I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm gonna really like this guy. And then he, when he comes in, it he's completely changed, and he's so good. He's so good in the part. It works really well. Like he's just. The way he talks, I, I, he was probably my favorite character in it. I just liked. He's quite dry. He talked, yeah, he's just dry and like, just kind of nicely confident and just every situation he he just seems to not be bothered about anything. Like every situation he goes up against, he's like, oh okay, <laughs> he's just like, uh, let's fight or like, everyone he has to um, beat the guy at, at at wits and stuff like that and. Mm-hmm. He's, I don't know, he's just so good. He's like Batman. He's always ready oh, for something. He's got all this Iocane powder and uh, he can choke out a giant. He's He's got magic le- like uh, magic swordsmanship. He's just great at everything. He's great. great sir. He can even drink poison, apparently. He's really growing in immunity. Oh my god, I can't believe that. I don't know how deadly that poison is, so I don't know if you could do that. But uh, well, It's from Australia, remember? It's from Australia. Does that mean it's weaker? Does that mean it's good? That means it's stronger. <laughs> I remember, everything's designed to kill you in Australia. Oh, that's a good point. Never thought See, about that. That's how strong a man he is. There is a lot of good things. The more we talk about it, the more we, we're understanding that this is actually not a terrible film. It's just it's down to a, an opinion based on things that you like, things that you don't like. Now, based based on that, I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in it. I quite, I, one big thing for me, I, I I'm always a sucker for good music and and films. Um, and surprise, I was quite surprised to to see that it was Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits who composed the original soundtrack album for this film. Um, but it doesn't surprise me when you hear some of the the, the sort of score in it. Um. But yeah, a really, really good film. Um, and like you were talking about aging kids watching these type of films again, we're going back to an age thing. I think in the late 80s, sort of mid to late 80s, there was a lot of these kind of fantasy fairy tale style films um, around. I mean, probably started with something like The Goonies. You had Willow, you had The Neverending Story, you had this. Although they they had kids in it, it was you could still watch them as adults and as kids. They were very good at hitting two two demographics in terms of audience which is always a good thing um, because it always opens your market up but yeah um the film has got has got ridiculous um rating on rotten tomatoes um based on its wikipedia page it's currently caught a 98 percent approval rating based on 80 reviews which is absolutely massive in terms of how high that is but very well deserved well we're mm, go- that shouldn't be that high well we're going to get into that I'll, and i'll find you kenzie <laughs> we're going to get into that obviously you can tell that david's a, a big lover of this movie kenzie's starting to as the more he's thinking about it maybe think that there is things he likes about it There's, it's, it's, it's a thinking man's film let's be honest there is some things i love about the film there's some things i don't quite like about the film there's some things that are just a bit average about the film so with that being said we will go into now giving the film 
a rating out of five popcorn buckets. Now, I'll probably hand it over to Kenzie first and he can let you hear what he thinks about it based on that. So when I was watching it, I, I was like pretty sure, I was like, I know where I'm going to give it. I think I was going to give it a three. But as I watched it and I was like, actually, I'm liking this more. And I was like, maybe it could even get to a four. But, you know, how I feel about it, the first kind of act of the film was like really strong for me. I feel like this, the middle part of this film really lets it down. I just don't... Like, all the kind of good parts of the film that I really liked, like the kind of the fight scenes, the kind of the witty kind of dialogue, I feel like it all kind of, kind of disappears in the kind of middle part of, this, middle part of the film. It does, kind of, it does eventually come back in the third part. But the second part, I really lets this film down. But... And then on, on top of the fact that I'm, I'm not a big fan of this genre anyway. But it did, it did have me, so I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm probably going to give it a... Three point five out of five popcorn buckets. I think that's fair for me. It was quite an enjoyable film. So over to you, David. Um, what would you give this film out of five popcorn buckets? Um, I like the film a lot. I think it's great. I, I love the acting. I love the the idea of it. The fact that it's like you know fantasy book into film. I think I, I don't disagree actually with Kenzie. The second act of it. Is is that bit of downtime between that and like the castle thing, where it's a bit, you know, it's fine, but it's not what the first and third act are. Um, when it comes to rain, I like the film a lot. I'd give it, I I'd give it a solid four, four point five. I'd say. So it's another strong rating there from a film from David. Um, so it's just me that's left. Like I said, I there's some really good points to this film. Um music big one soundtrack for me really good um carrie always his performance is really good he does a lot in this he does a lot of the heavy lifting for me in this film carrie always i don't i think if he wasn't quite right i think this film could be not as enjoyable um as it is um like i say a big fan of big fan of rob reiner in terms of a filmmaker i'm also a big fan of william goldman in terms of um screenplays uh, specifically not much of a reader i'm a film guy but yeah all round it's a really enjoyable family friendly film which is something that's quite hard to say about especially some of these films that we're going to go on to talk about and some of the ones that we've already spoke about which i suppose sort of gives it that edge in terms of if you want if you're looking for something to sit down with your kids to watch on like a sunday afternoon it's, it's, I think it gets adults and kids as both. I think there's enough in the movie for it to be, um, be be something that's enjoyable for for the whole family. Um, but yeah, based on that, I'm I'm gonna give this film three point five out of five. It's not quite hitting the marks enough to get to a four for me. Um, but yeah, it's a strong three point five. <laughs> So we're now going to move on to the second act of the podcast, which is the Eight Rules of Cult Film Cafe. Now, if you don't know, we break down these films even further using the Eight Rules of Cult Film Cafe. Now, just give you a rundown quickly on what the rules are if you're not familiar with them. They are low budget, stroke box office flop, rewatchability, quotability amongst fan bases, elements of audience participation, not well received by contemporary critics or reviewers, 
explores controversial topics, subjects and themes, engage with a culture and community in some way and it can cannot claim to be a cult film from the get-go. Now, they're the eight rules. Now that you know them, we're going to dive into The Princess Bride and we'll start off with low-budget stroke box office flop. Now, let's I'll hand that over to Kenzie and he can kick us off with this one. So when I checked, I think the budget was around about six. 16 million, yeah, 16 million US dollars for the film, which, uh, it's not too big, uh, at the, I don't know, how, how much is that now? Oh, I don't know. if you bear with me, I'll, I'll check that. Right, I don't think it's like too high a budget, it's still like a decent, it's a decent sized budget. I think it was modest at the time, right? That was quite okay. Yeah, that was, was like good, an okay-ish you know? budget, like, uh, it's not like a... Yeah. Uh, and with the box office, I was trying to kind of look about that. I don't think it, I think it done well, does it not? It was $30.8 million. So. Initially a modest fine. success. Modest. Mm-hmm. Everything about this was modest. It's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, modest. Yeah, grossing $30.8 million at the US and Canada box office on a 16. So that's like, just, is it just under, no, wait. What? Just under 16 million. Times. Just 30, under two so, times. So it'll be 32 million. I just wanted to let you know that 16 million today is around 40, is just over 40 million dollars. Oh. It's like bigger than I thought. Oh, okay. It's well, 60, so the thing about that today, that sort of sits in the sort of middle ground of where we would look at budgets in terms of films. It's kind of like a weird grey area. There's not really many films that get made for that kind of budget these days. Yeah. But it's not. it wasn't really. I, now looking at it, it wasn't really a, a success. I mean, it's not even making double its budget, and then never mind like like that's not including like things like marketing and stuff like that. So that wasn't really a success, even though it seems to be it seems to get praised. Yeah, that's that's the sort of flip side to this film is it wasn't successful in terms of box office and and the money that it made, and I think that was due largely down to how how the film was marketed i just think it was one of these films that studios didn't they just didn't know how to market it properly to get the big box office returns and i think that's probably why it didn't hit enough money in terms of box office um but yeah it's a massively critically acclaimed film in terms of that um, it's it's always been up there and been held in high, high regard. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, they were sort of two of the bigger film critics of the time. Um, Ebert wrote a very favourable review about it in his column in the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, Richard Corliss of the Times, Times said it was fun for the whole family. Yeah, there's just, it's been really praised, um, Janet Maslin in the New York Times, it's it's been a really sort of critic, not necessarily critic acclaim, but I think critics liked it, and it was given favorable favorable reviews at the time, which probably is the reason why um, it, it still sort of looked at today as in 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 the, in the light that it is. It really only got its popularity after like it was released to home video, I think. It's when like, everyone kind of saw it, because it was cheap, probably. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like this film would probably do really good in, like, reruns on, like, on like channels and stuff like that as well. Yeah. 
it's kind of like going on a tv with, with like the family sort of thing yeah it's like family viewing isn't it like the film's like mm-hmm. it's perfect for that it's like absolutely it's a film that children would enjoy and it's a film that like parents would enjoy too it's got things for both people to like so yeah i could totally see that being the case i i, I don't know we're i think a film like this is really hard to market for like um like the type of film it is like if i saw that film advert i mean it's different now i think back then maybe it would be easier to uh, more people would be wanting to watch films like that but if I, like i wouldn't have went to see it at the cinema i don't know about yous and maybe that was the same with a lot of other people as they saw that and like, oh, that's not the type of film I want to see at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, it was kind of like, um, when was 1987, so it was kind of like the the back end of the whole um, kind of swashbuckling era, I suppose, I think. Kind of when they were dying a little bit film-wise. So probably it would, wouldn't get in as many audiences, if you will. It's like films, or to the cinema, sorry. So yeah, I think overall... Oh, sorry. Were you about to say yeah, I was just going to say. I think, I think the the audience that went to see it. Um, I mean, there was obviously a, a lot enough people went to see it for it to gain the secondary market. And it's always one of those where, if you if you're a massive fan of something that you go and watch, you'll probably say that to 30, 50 of your friends, whatever. And if even if ten percent go and buy the film. If everybody that loves the film does that, that's how it ends up getting its secondary market sort of um bump in, in terms of that. Um yeah, it's it's not it wasn't a, a major box office success like like we've like we've said that, that so it's it's one of those these things that it does tick that box for us here on the podcast. Um but you were touching on the sort of how it would do well in reruns on television and I suppose that's goes on to the next point of rewatchability and I think this film for most people will be highly rewatchable and there's a lot of factors to that I think for me factors of rewatchability one big one for me is the running time of a film I'm always a stickler for that I think Mm -hmm. if a film's over two hours long you really have to want to watch it for you to put it on. I think if a film's 90 minutes, I'm more inclined to just stick it on and watch it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're getting to the new films now, I mean, nobody really makes 90-minute movies anymore. That used to be the thing. Everything used to be around 90 minutes. Um, this film, the same, is just over 90 minutes runtime. Um I think that's a big factor in rewatchability for for me personally. I mean, a lot of the films that get made now, you you're lucky if you get films that are shorter than two hours or just under two hours, and some of those films just are a bit leggy if they aren't enjoyable and engrossing. But like this film is a real easy watch as well, which obviously factors into the rewatchability of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I didn't it's very simple. It. Yeah. It's a kind of simple driven film. I, I, that's, these films are the type of films that are really good for rewatching. Because um, a film that's got like a complicated story and stuff like that, yeah, they, they're good at times, but there's a, a time and a place. Whereas a, a, a film that's got a simple story, it's just gonna you've heard the kind of story before, and it's or you or or you've even seen the film before. You're like, yep, yeah, I could watch that again. Simple one for me. Ninety about ninety-ish minutes. Yep, yeah, that's not too long. I'll watch that done 
To be honest, the film did feel slight. I, I didn't realise the film was around about 90 minutes. It felt a bit longer for me. But I feel like the, maybe that's just because I thought the, kind of later half of the, the later kind of half of the film dragged a little bit. But um, maybe it's just down to the middle. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very easy film to watch. I would probably watch it again. And even me not being a fan of it, I'd probably, if it was on again mm-hmm. at some point, I feel like I'd go, ah, fuck it. I'll give it another watch. Why not? Because there were certain things I enjoyed about it, even if it, things like films like these are quite good because they don't even have to be that good for you to make them make, like make you want to rewatch them again. They're just on as long as they're like not bad, and you're like ah, they're short. Because so like, mm-hmm. if things some if something's shorter and it's not as good, it's fine because it's shorter. It's harder for like a film that's not like, even if it's a film that's not really your cup of tea. You'll still probably you can still give it a watch. If it's a film that's long and it's not your cup of tea, you're gonna be like nah, I, I, I don't see any point in that. Whereas it's shorter, you're like ah. Stick it on, watch. That's that's good. How do you feel about it, David? Um, well, I've watched it. Actually, I've not watched it that much. I've watched it three times, including for this podcast. And I think I, I know it's extremely rewatchable because obviously, as both of you said, it's not exactly very long. It's a very familiar story, which helps a lot. You know, you you know what's going to happen. It's low real commitment, isn't it? Like, you you know, good guy is going to win. That sort of thing. So. You can just care. You can switch off. It's very much chewing gum for the eyeballs. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't want to commit to, you know, the likes of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where it's like a theater film, you can just sit and you know, like Princess Bride's very, it's light hearted. It's it's a, a familiar story that everyone's already comfortable with, and it's well made. So yeah, there's nothing nothing particularly uh, taxing about watching it. You know. Yeah, it's a very it's a very easy watch. I think this one's. Very easy to give a tick for for rewatchability. I feel like mm-hmm. easily. Yeah, like you like you both said about it. I mean, it, you've got good characters. I think that's another one as well. Good characters. It's not ridiculously long. Um, the story's um, very familiar, and um, you don't have to think too much to understand sort of what's going on with the narrative, which is another good thing as well. So yeah, that's. Um, that's also a, a big one. Um, so the next point up would be quotability um, amongst fan bases, but quotability in general. Um, I don't know about yous, but the, there is certainly some big, big things in this that are easily said on repeat. Um, and everybody will have their own quotes that they like from this. Um, it could be anything, really. I think that's what makes films cult. And, and have more cult status is how much of the dialogue is quotable um, I think for people that have seen this a lot I think a lot of the dialogue is going to be quotable but for somebody like me who has genuinely only seen the movie sort of once twice, I've seen it a couple of times but once majorly watching it and I'm just going to say it, my favourite quote of the film is my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah. That's I, very respectable. I. It's the only quote I know of the film. And I. I, for me, none of the, n- not a lot of the other dialogue. I mean, it's the first watch, but maybe on a second watch, some more of the dialogue will fully stand out to me. But that part, 
it really stands out. Also, I knew about the quote before. It's one, it's one, it's one of those weird ones where I knew about the quote, but didn't know what film it was from. <laughs> so I was like, what is this film? I, I, could, I Sometimes I've even had it, like, at times I had it stuck in my head at one point, and I'm like, yo, I don't even know what that's actually from. <laughs> it's a very good quote, though. And it said it's repeated, it's, it's, it becomes easy to quote because of how many times it gets repeated in the film. And that final kind of part of the film where he says that when, when he's actually fighting fighting the man who killed his father, it's, it's just a really strong scene. And he just keeps on repeating it just as he said he would. It's just brilliant. And it just becomes that easy quote to like get memorised in your head. It's, it just sticks. It's quite emotional as well with the whole like, you know, it's his dad. Like he's finally getting his vengeance sort of thing when he thought he was about to lose it all. It, so, it was, sorry. The best quote, let's be honest, fellas, is the Vicini one. Like, at the, at the end of the battle, where it's, where it's like, uh, you've fallen victim to one of the classic blunders. First is, uh, uh, what's it called? The first is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly lesser known, never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line and they just die. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's just so good. That's also it's a, a good quote. Scene. Um, inconceivable as... Uh, uh, quotes are quite funny. He does... Vicini says that a lot in the first half of the film mm. and, yeah, as a quotable line, as a, as a line of dialogue. I think it's... Yeah, that's one thing that I noticed doing a bit of research on it and um, hearing the actors say how how much of a sort of a time they had with people sort of saying lines back to them. I think Carrie always has said that he still gets people saying Princess Bride likes them now when he sees them <laughs> um, walking about. But he was saying about um, Wallace Shawn had it, had it the worst really because of that inconceivable. And he was saying that any time people seen him to like drop keys or anything, that's exactly what they would say. Inconceivable! <laughs> and I think over time that might become annoying for you, but it's just fans um, paying homage to a film that they love, so it shouldn't really be. There's a, there's so many, there's probably so many quotes. Um, I don't know about quotes, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what the dialogue is. Um, do you know when they're sword fighting, and mm-hmm. before, yeah. um. Carrie Elwes's um, character gets to the top. Um, and Hugo Montoya says to Vicini, "I'm going to, I'm going to fight him left-handed um, <laughs> yeah. and stuff." But it's in the middle of the fight. I don't exactly know what the dialogue is. I don't know if it's oh, um, I'm keeping something from you. It's something like that. I'm actually right-handed and switches, and obviously it gets mm-hmm. up a hand again, and then eventually. That happens again with Carrie Elwes. Oh, I've been keeping something from you. I'm not actually left-handed either. And then it goes to the full. Yeah, I, I just like wee things like that. There is a lot of um, quotable lines. Everybody will have their favourites. It's going to be massive for for everything. There's some other ones from Inigo. Um, you know Fezzik, you finally did something right. It's a good one. <laughs> I like Fezzik, he's nice. Doesn't have a lot of lines in the film, though. No, the ones he has, though, I feel are quite good. When they're just kind of like, they're, they're very simple. It's like, um, you know, he's had a hard day. He's been mostly dead all day. Leave him alone. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, this is quite, yeah, they're very simple lines, but they're quite nice for like, you know, he's such a big character and you associate big and all that with violence. And actually, he's just, he's just a big softy. He's just nice. 
I, I really like Andre. I was nice seeing Andre the Giant because I really like mm-hmm. Andre the Giant. But my, my, my my favorite parts was the where he was like when he tells him to jog the guy's memory, he just bonks him on the head. <laughs> and he just falls yeah. over. He's like, oh, I think I jogged his memory too hard. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we've just given rattled off a few. Um, but yeah, I'm get but big big ultra fans of this film are, are going to have a field a field mm-hmm. day. Where, where these it's like, very yeah, quotable. very quotable. Um. Hundred percent. Now that's another big one for 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 the film in terms of the rules here at the Cult Film Cafe. Now the next one up, we have elements of audience participation. Now this can be a, a funny one, and if you have listened to the first episode about the Warriors, you have an understanding of what we mean by this, and it's audience. Diehard audience or, or fans of the film sort of participating in any participatory a- aspect that you could think of, um, and that, that can come in different forms. I think the big one for me would be this: uh, the Princess Bride has had a fan. I'm pretty sure there's a fan-made movie on mm-hmm. on YouTube, which is I would maybe class that in here. Um, it's one of those things. And it had a reworking, I think, for the 30th anniversary. Ivan Reitman, and there was actors playing different parts. And I know that they were actors, but they're obviously actors that are fans of the film. So it does have a life in this category. Whether it's a super strong one, I'm not so sure. But it does definitely have elements in it um, where the audience... Yeah, where the audience has sort of participated. I think fan-made films are a big part of this as well for me. Mm-hmm. So, is it like a fan-made film of like the entire, just kind of like a kind of retelling of the film? I thought it was like, a, like the, uh, the old, like, like a read-through sort of thing. Is it like a read-through? Like, oh, right, like, okay. like uh, Community did during the thing. Well, that's that was um, so that was the sort of that was Ivan Wright, uh, Jason Reitman, sorry, mm. done a live dramatic reading um, and it, it had different actors playing the characters. Yeah, so that, that was something that was done. I know. It was, um, I heard about this ages ago. There's like a bar named after. You know how like uh, right at the start when it was like as you wish really meant I love you sort mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, it was like a bar opened up somewhere where it's called as you wish and it's got like princess bride themed uh, drinks and all that. Yeah. All right. I think that's really cool. I don't know where it is. I Ch- it exists Chicago. Oh, wait. Really? Sh- oh, I don't think I've been in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago <laughs> and it's got 16 themed cocktails. That's quite cool. But it's just according to what I'm reading here. But yeah, that is quite cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is all of these um, sort of elements as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, so there's a celebrity. So you go, watch the celebrity fan f- fan-filled film version of The Princess Bride. So A-list actors work secretly in quarantine to create a rough-hewn homemade version of the classic film and it raised $1 million for charity. Whoa. So, yes... That's quite impressive. It's, but it is pretty cool, some of the stills, and it's just these people. So, uh, Keegan-Michael Key was in it, Patton Oswald. A lot of big names. Just some of the people. Is that, that could be MPH, I think, there. It's just um, trying to catch him. He's just in a, he's in a weird pose. Yeah, that looks like Sarah Poulsen, famous for being in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, there is a lot of this that's going on. But yeah, that it looks that looks quite interesting. 
and I think this is one of these films that is not only popular amongst audience but actual people in the, the movie industry as well mm-hmm. so it's definitely got big audience participation let's be honest well yeah I mean Hugh Jackman was in it I'm just looking at some of the other people that he was in it yo Hugh Jackman yeah. that's kind of sick I'm not gonna lie I guess it kind of does have audience participation I feel like I'm gonna ha- I feel like I, I'm gonna half one with this one but I guess I didn't think there'd be as much. Yeah, I was kind. Of, I'm kind of. I'm kind of surprised about what the kind of is. There's like, oh, there's like an episode of like the Big Bang Theory, where like the Enigma Montoya thing. It's like brought up perpetually. I'm pretty sure, because they're like doing like fencing classes and they're all they both want to take turns playing like Enigma Montoya <laughs> or something like that. It's just it's really dumb because they're doing like you know the accent and everything. They sound like I am Enigma Montoya. It's like it's just, I don't know. It, it's weird how it just puts itself into stuff, you know? My name is Amigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. My name is Amigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. The next one is not well received by critics and reviewers at the time. That's one where that's complete opposite for this film. It's always been well well received in that regard from, from uh, critics and, and reviewers. Um, so, yeah, based on what we know and stuff about about the sort of ratings for it. I think the rating. I think this has got a eight point oh on IMDb. Uh, that's one thing I know. That's high. I mean, eight, that's eight, quite high. Eights are. I mean, if you're eight, if you're in the eights, you've got a chance to crack the sort of top. Is it two fifty in IMDb? Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um. That that's quite high. Obviously, you think about a lot of the, a lot of the, um, how many films exist. So yeah, this is great. So the Princess Bride currently on Rotten Tomatoes has got a ninety-seven percent tomato meter, and a ninety-four percent audience score. So yeah, I mean, we cannot say that it's not been well received at yeah. all. Complete. It's a complete opposite yeah, for this a... one. It's a really easy one. It's, even though it wasn't like they didn't really wasn't really a successful film at the time. People, it, it. people it seems to be that so it's always been liked, and even now still liked. And some like some of the ratings are super high for the film. So I mean, it's still getting yeah, for it to a, remain that high. It's still getting rated very highly now. I mean, yeah, you would think over time things would dip, but yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to be that way for the Princess Bride. I'm just reading here an, another uh, reviewer um, that was done by Peter Bradshaw for The Guardian in October 2017. Five, he gave it five stars. So, yeah. Five stars? Five stars in 2017. So, that was 30, so that was 30 years on. So, 87. So, 30 years later. So, still, I mean, The Guardians. It's a consistent thing. Yep. Excellent. But David, David's really... happy about that. Yeah, uh, there's not. We don't really have much more that we can dive into. I mean, there's only so many sort of metrics that you can look at when looking at reviews and and stuff for um, the film. Metacritic, they're a bit more harsh, I would terms. So it's currently got seventy-seven out of a hundred in terms of the meta score, and eight point three is an audience score. Still very high, though. I mean. Rotten Tomatoes is probably the one that most people look at. Um, mm-hmm. It's Metacritic always been kind of like a little bit harsher than like the rest of the 
reviews. I always see that Metacritic seems to have a slightly slightly lower. Oh, definitely. I would say they they rate a lot of different things. Like I think you can get video games rated and stuff like that. Like you get ratings for that stuff. So it's not just films. Um, which maybe makes a score. Yeah, it does seem a bit a, a lot harsher. Um, yeah, it's on Metacritic and on Cinema Score, which the audiences um, survey um, Cinema Score. They 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 grade their films based on an A to F rating, and the grade that the Princess Bride got was A plus. So yeah, Ooh, I mean, excellent. and you you just got to look at the legacy in terms of the list that it's on, you know. Um, like I said, start. I mean, it's number fifty on Bravo's hundred funniest movies. Eighty on the AFI's hundred years, hundred passions list of hundred greatest film love stories. It's forty six in Channel Four's fifty greatest comedy films. Um, and in two thousand six, just to round off this, saying that it's been received across the board in uh, twenty sixteen. The film was inducted by the Library of Congress for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So yeah, a big plaudits there for the film and that one, an easy tick for us here at the podcast. This is where we're maybe going to have a couple of crosses against it. It's like not well received by critics and reviews at the time. That's obviously not true and it's the reverse it's the opposite of that explores controversial topics subjects and themes this film is essentially a fairy tale love story it's not really a controversial it's basically very light-hearted it's very light-hearted it's basically the the story of good versus evil and good wins that's all but that's all it needs to be doesn't need to be anything harsh they do have a guy in a rat costume though which is a bit weird the rat I like the rat costume. Why would you come with this in the rat costume? Because it's, it's a, a guy wrestling like a, like a midget in a rat costume and they set him on fire. It's, it's a little bit unethical. Yeah, I mean, like, I hope, man, I don't know if he was in the costume for the whole time. Like they've got to be. He's keep it, you know. They're going to probably he, have he, a dummy to keep it realistic. <laughs> Could it not have been a puppet? No, no. You see the way that moves? That, that has to be that was a person. Do you know for a fact that it was a the person? Size. I'm sure it was a person. I will, hang on. I will, I will prove it right now. <laughs> I'm not too sure. Rat the costume. The world he stabs it like three times. Here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it was 50 pounds <laughs> of latex, fake foreign rubber, and there were people in them. Apparently. Oh, there you go. Davis just cleared that oh, up. There was people terrible. inside the giant rat yeah. costumes on the Princess Bride. Not relevant to expose controversial topics, subjects, and themes. It's controversial because they're... I don't know, even rat costumes. Right, right. Thank you. I get what you're con- I can understand why you th- you want to bring that up in this this part. This is more about <laughs> the subject matter and topics the actual theme, the film. Yeah. Not maybe some of the controversies to do with the <laughs> production of the film. And if you want to touch on that, that's totally fine. But we're here to speak about <laughs> the film, not the making of the film. That could mm. be a separate podcast. You could set that up, David. You could do your own podcast yeah, series of, a, of the, an ethic of the com- making. An ethics you, committee. You just do the same film that we do every week, but you do the making of, and then... Very <laughs> ethical. I don't know. I mean, it's just... It's fairy tale. Isn't it? there's, there's no real controversy. Right. So, so that was an easy one there. So, on to engage with a culture or community in some way. Now, that is something that we touched on about elements of audience participation. Could probably go hand in hand with this one. It does obviously has reached out to a culture or community in terms of creating its own culture for this film. 
and that's very prevalent with fan-made movies and specifically the sort of the actors redoing it that that was a big one for me um there's, there's obviously something about this film that just won't go away and within pop, pop culture. Um, I was reading somebody's sort of quick, sort of short review of it and the the, the headline for, for our blog or whatever it was was the movie that won the internet, um, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. I mean, there's probably a lot of films that win the internet, you know, um, but this is probably one of them. Yeah. This is an easy one as well for me, really, um, talking about that, engaging with a culture or community. Um, the films that do do that, that really bring people together, is something that's um, it's quite fascinating to see. At first, like, thinking about it, I didn't think it really did, but of course it did, because the fan films and all that, yeah, it must, it must mm-hmm. have. It's created a community that all love this film, and they all love it dear. Like pretty much, if you speak to anyone who is a fan of this film, they love the film. It's not just like, oh, it's a good film. It's a, it's a really good film. They really enjoy it. They get, so yeah. I guess this one is a another one that's going to be a tick. Yeah, David, you getting add to this one or no? You're you're all right. Especially what Kenzie says. I'm a fan of this film. I don't just really like it. I like. Oh, it you a lot. like it? Oh, yeah. This is a, an easy, easy one for it. And we're going to wrap up the eight rules with the final part, which or the final one of them, which is. It, can't claim to be a cult movie from the get-go and uh, yeah i don't think this ever was either um nah it's one of those things like it was a, a novel um written by William goldman and just reading uh, more and more about this it it was a film that people have been trying were trying to get made like pretty much from day one you know you get these you get these films that have got fans straight away. And there's a couple of films from different eras, um, a few. So Fight Club, it was the last episode in the podcast. It basically, the the book came out three years before the film got released. And I think people were scrambling to buy the rights to the, to the book straight away. Um, the Godfather is another one. It, mm. it was two years two or three years, I think, between novel coming out, film coming out. Um, that was a really popular novel as well, critically acclaimed novel. Um, and then June is the other one. Um, that just I know how it had troubles getting a production off the ground, a bit like this. I mean, there's obviously loads of fans of the book similar to this, there's obviously loads of fans of the William Goldman novel, which, yeah, it seemed as if it was always destined for a film adaptation. But it took four... Film, so the book came out and published in 1973. So it took 14 years to get a theatrical version. Seems quite a lot of time, like a long time for a film... Mm-hmm. Or especially a, a a piece of text that people obviously love. Yeah, I kind of I, I don't know I don't I feel like if this if this director didn't do this film I feel like this film might, this this book might have never really got an adaptation as it was I don't know it was like a perfect storm sort of thing you know where like yeah every all the all the right people came together at the same time without every everyone involved it wouldn't be 
what it is to do. Yeah, I really feel like if it was left any longer, I really feel like the book would. Well, I don't know about the book itself, but like the, the chance of it getting me into a film would have been like lost to time. It's, I think it didn't have much time left for it possibly getting it, and just luckily, the director was like, "I want to do this," and managed to get it done. So, and now it's here to stay. It's, it's still now. It's hugely the film's hugely popular, massively popular. But yeah, it's one of those things that I think it was just. People were just trying to adapt it in a way, and it, it seemed as if it was just handed from studio to studio or like production team to production team. I mean, a couple of the things in terms of adaptations of it, just quickly to round out this section, is um, Ray Harryhausen was approached by British producer Milton Sabutsky, um, who had written a script based on the novel. Um, Harryhausen, fan of the book, like many, uh, but found too many problems with the screenplay. Um, they tried to work together in an attempt to create a new script and eventually gave up. It was just weird. I don't what what's so complicated about it. I mean, I've not read the book, and I don't think any of you have. So it would be quite interesting, and maybe it's something I should reach out to and see if anybody's read the book. Um, it's maybe something that we I, I, I'd quite like to get to the bottom of it. Because there's some of these things where I hear complicated productions and trying to get films made, and it makes sense. So obviously, we I just touched upon June having issues. But I can understand why with that book, why it was so difficult. But a fairy tale, why was it so difficult considering fairy tales have been made for years and it's such an easy Maybe, story? I think part of the problem like from what i know about the book the book presents itself like it's like um a bridged version of a larger story is like the whole thing it's like it's like the best bits or something or whatever it's called so maybe it's like they was like change bits of the pacing or something like that and like the development meanwhile this one became well it was more of just a direct from what i've read of the book which is it's very little to be fair but by looks of it, this film's basically just like a directed video version, if you get me. Like, so I'm guessing, did the book not take itself very seriously either? No, it was kind of a... Yeah. It's, it's, a it's a parody. I feel like that's a hard it's thing a... to kind of transfer to movie as well. I think they might have struggled with stuff mm-hmm. like that. Trying to get the kind of comedic, the somewhat comedic aspects and stuff like that. Apparently the screenplay for us is really good. Hmm? Uh, apparently I've heard. I've never read it. I've just heard it. It's well, a good screenplay to check out. Everything about it's a great Let's be honest. The acting's great, the film's great, the book's great, so are we really surprised? Let's be honest. Right, everybody, so that's us wrapped up the eight rules there with a lot of the, the rules there being applied and, and ticked off for um for the Princess Bride. Um yeah, it's it's easy to see um why why it's a, a much loved film. So we're now just gonna move on to the next act of the podcast where we where we discuss based on the discussion we just had um breaking down the eight rules whether the film meets enough of the criteria to be considered a cult film in our opinions now i will let kenzie lead off with this one okay okay well um yeah even though this is the like it's quite good. We went from our first film we done hit all our rules. Second one, I think was one that missed. This one's, this one missed two. 
Like this, yeah. it was it was um, six out of eight. Yep. But it's st- even still, still, I I easily can see this as a cult film, and it's a very strong one. Kind of like I feel like Fight Club in a way. It's got a, it's got a very dedicated fan base that's quite big, and yeah. So f- I I don't even know how much I can else I can really say about this. This one's it's quite good. It's, we've done three different films, and they're completely. They're completely different in every way and it's really interesting to see how they've got cult status and the fan base that they have and how they treat the films compared to each other i think it's really interesting i feel this one's more and kind of relates a little bit more to the warriors than fight club of its kind of cult fan base but yeah this this film easily i would see it as a cult film what about yourself david oh i say when before I I got into this whole thing. I never thought it was a cult film, but now that I actually like researched it. I, I looked at it a bit before watching this. And I was like, oh, I didn't actually realize, you know, it was so not not unpopular, but you know, ambivalent towards when it first came out. So it's got I, I it, it has the staples of a, a cult film in there. Like you know, it's referenced quite a bit. It's got its very dedicated community. I definitely think it's a cult film. Uh, I love it. It's very cool. Yeah, this is also an easy one for me, um, based on the sort of rules of the podcast. Like Kenzie touched upon, we, we are sort of not just giving text to all of these points on the podcast. We're obviously breaking it down and fairly giving it um, um, text where it should apply. But it's six out of eight. I think a lot of the, the sort of big, big hitters in terms of what makes uh, films get cult status as they were big big ticks for for the film and i think that's why it is easy to see why this film is still culturally impactful today and that I mean we're 35 years on this year from the film's release and people are still talking about it and people are still going to continue to talk about it continue to watch it repeatedly um people are going to have it in the highest regards it's probably going to be in some people's top 10 films of all time maybe some people's top five just a wee tip but i was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday about it and um, saying that we we're doing a princess bride in the podcast and he was uh, saying that one of his friends um say it's a top three movie for him um i think that uh, just goes to show that this this film has a lot of fans and there's a lot of love for it out there and yeah based on the discussion that we just had yeah um it's easy to see why the film has has gained this cult status and has went on to become not only a cult film but a cult classic is probably what it would be described as now very much like fight club in the last episode yeah it's a cult classic in terms of this it's very recognizable now, especially now that you're we're familiar with it, it's probably going to be something that we'll remember. And when people talk about it, we'll be able to think back to 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 this podcast and what we we're talking about, and we will have a lot to say on the matter. Which is just one one reason why it's good to do this podcast and break these films down. The only thing I will, I don't know if I'd see this film as a cult classic. That's the only thing I would say about it. But I think it's almost there. But I'd still probably just see it as a cult film in itself. Almost but... there, okay, buddy. Oh, what, what do you think, David? Do you think, do you, think you, you you say cult film or cult classic? Cult classic. Okay, all right. Uh, definitely. Fair. Come on. That's very fair. But um, are we going to move on next to the 
where we'd put it in our top 100. So the final point, the final talking point and the final part of the podcast is now that we have given you our opinions of the film based on a review where we would put it in terms of how we would rate the film out of five. We broke it down from the sort of cult rules that we have here on the podcast. We've now spoke about it to make sure it definitely is considered a cult film. We're now, now what we do is we consider where it would be placed in the top 100 is what we are now doing on a podcast so we've done that for the last couple so I mean you think about top 100 films where would you place this if you were have to have to put it in sort of a, it doesn't have to be a dead number it can be in a ballpark area but yeah I mean think about your experience with films and cult films in general where would this rank in the top 100 um for ourselves and this is basically a really subjective viewpoint it's basically it's our opinions we're going to have a very wide range of outcomes here but um i'll let david kick this one off because he's the the one on the podcast that picked the film and he's the one that's the biggest fan i would say out of the three of us so it'd be interesting to see where he would place it in the top 100 okay if we're doing like okay top 100s to be as, I think, honestly, I, I wouldn't put it, you know, 10 or lower, I feel that's a bit, as much as I like the film, I, I don't think it has that much, if you get me. I'd probably put it 20. I, I'd probably put it in like 20 to like 14, in my opinion. I don't know. I feel that that's like the best. In terms of like looking at other cult films and all that sort of thing, I feel that gives it the most. I think it's pretty, pretty big. It's a great film. I love it a lot, but I think twenty to fourteen is the best range for it for me. Anyway, on that list, that's that's quite. So inside the top twenty for David, yeah. there, um, that's it's yeah. a respectable place to put it. I think um, there's going to be other people that will maybe have it higher. So I think I think that's really fair. So Kenzie, what about yourself? Now, this film is definitely a cult film, but I don't know. I don't know if I see it as a top 100 must-see cult film. This is what I was thinking about when I was watching it, and just after I finished it as well. Is, cause this, this is my favourite part of the podcast when you, I try and put it in the list somewhere. And, yeah. At first, I was like, I don't see it really being a must-see at all, but there's a hundred, it's, you've got to put a hundred films in this list. That's a lot of films. It's a lot of cult films. And from the ones we're, we're going to get through, there, I think there'll be ones that are definitely will never like be seen on the must the must see so i feel like i'm being a bit harsh so i am going to include this on the, the top 100 must see because i think i think i'm just being unfair in it because it's not my type of film there's clear, clearly people love the film so it is probably one of the ones that you should definitely ch- you should probably check out and see if you like it or not because even I, I wasn't a big fan of the film i still enjoyed it um so i'm gonna stick it quite high um I'm going to probably stick it, and this is quite high, I'm going to put it in the 90s, that's very high, but, uh, and that'll probably, in time that might come down, we'll see you when we get, as we get through other films, but at the moment, for me, I don't see it as a fully must-see, but that's me being me, um, so I'm going to put it at 95 at the moment, I almost put it at 100, but I think I'm being really harsh there, I'll put it at 95, I'll put it at 95, I think, like I said, as they get through this, I think I'll probably move that. 
but as I feel for it right now, I just don't see it as a must-see. Well, so there's a big wide range between um, David and Kenzie there, so I think it's only right that I give my opinion on where I would put it in terms of um, 100 must-see cult films. It definitely makes the list, 100%. It should make everybody's list, in my opinion, even if I'm not the biggest fan of the film i think it definitely should be a, a film if you're looking for cult films to watch it should definitely definitely be on your radar of films to watch now i would put this personally for me this is a top 50 for me so it would probably sit somewhere 40 to 50 um at this moment in time but like kenji said that the subject to change as the further we get into the podcast will sort of have a more uh sort of more rounded out view of where things are going to sit um i don't ever want to give anything something in the top 10 until i've i've I've, so i've seen seen more and spoke about more of the films and and where i sort of films that i like um but i think that's really strong for me considering it's not necessarily my type of film but i definitely the the thing about it this is where i um flip-flop because i it's not my type of film in terms of it's not something i would look at and go i really want to watch that but for solely looking at cult films then that's where it does shift to becoming quite a strong option in that category based on just how culturally impactful the film has been for the past 35 years and it's a film that people love i don't i don't i doubt it's a film that people hate there's probably some people that do hate it I don't hate it. I think it's it's got its charm, um, and it's a good, solid piece of movie making. And yeah, I I think the film is massively worth a watch if you're looking to get into cult films. It might be one of the easiest ones to go into in terms of cult films as well, just based on the subject matter and stuff like that. Because some of the cult films out there are really really strange and really quite difficult to watch, and we can maybe not be for everybody so if you're looking for a way into the cult films cult films this is definitely an easy easy entry point as well um so yeah it's just it's got a lot of charm that's what i can say about it and there's a lot of cult aspects about it there's a lot of these good things about it you know the rewatchability fact quotability is a big one yeah massive massive um um cult status there for the film like we said it's a cult classic for me and david and kenzie still believes it's a cult film although he's not got it super high he still does believe that you should go out and watch the film yeah so that's all we have time for here on cult film cafe this week it's been an absolute pleasure having david on to break down the princess bride and don't forget that you can get in touch contact with the podcast finding us on instagram at cult film cafe and via email by emailing the cult film podcast at gmail.com and if you'd like to get in contact with myself directly you can find me on instagram at 081331 productions and if you'd like to get in contact with kenzie directly you can find them on instagram at doge underscore dogs and if you've got any interest in gaming you can follow me on twitch at twitch.tv slash crotonstitman if you're a bit of a gamer I know I am. Yeah, so if you're interested in gaming and you like checking out Twitch, give Kenzie's stream a watch whenever he's live. And if you'd like to get in contact with David, you can find him. Where, David? Tell people where they can find you and your amazing, wonderful world. Well, the main thing I probably use is Twitter. You can find me at photosdgj. So if you're looking to do anything, 
talk to me there. That's David. So you can check him out. And don't forget, I'll drop everybody's links in the description on Spotify and all that good stuff and YouTube when it goes up there. So you can check everyone out and see what they're getting up to and see all that good stuff. And don't forget to get in contact with the show. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, hit us up. Um, either email us or send us a, a follow on Instagram. Um, send us a DM, we can have a chat. We're always looking to get guests on every week. It's something that would be great to see if anybody would like to join us on it. And it's been great talking about films with you as always. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening. Podcast out. And we're done. And we're done. Hey.